We're going to be picking up in Colossians again. We're in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to pick up verses 16 um, through the end, but we're only going to do a portion of it, even though we're going to talk through it. So here we go. Starting with verse 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is the Messiah. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aesthetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with growth from God. If you died with the Messiah to the elemental forces of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is, being, is destroyed by being used up. They are commands and doctrines of men. Although these have a reputation of wisdom by promoting aesthetic practices, humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. Man, this one, this is why we're actually only going to do about half of this because uh, we're going to spend some time next week going through the second portion. But I wanted you to get it all in context so that we weren't just using a couple of scriptures, but you kind of have the picture of, of what he's talking about. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today is shadow versus substance. It was something that was meant to, uh, we, we, we hear the phrase, a foreshadowing. It was going to show us something versus what the actual substance was. And Paul starts this section with a preposition, therefore, meaning because of what I had just previously stated, because of something that I had said before, then I'm going to tell you something in addition. And if we were looking back at what he had just said prior to this in this letter, then we would get this whole section where he's talking about walking in Christ, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude, not being taken captive through philosophy, uh, realizing that the fullness of God's nature dwells in Christ. You've been filled by him. You were circumcised by him in a spiritual sense. You've been buried with him in baptism, and you're raised with him through faith. And when you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, he made you alive, and he forgave us all our trespasses. And then right before this, he said he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that were against us and opposed to us, and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him, him being Christ. And he says, so because of all of that, then don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come, but the substance is the Messiah. Flat out, what it comes down to is Jesus has fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. And the fact that he fulfilled the law took care of that in our lives from a spiritual standpoint. It took care of that in our lives from a judicial standpoint, where the, the law does not have a hold on us if we reside in Christ and Christ in us, because he is the one who has paid that price. Paul goes straight 
on then into an immediate addressing of the restrictions of the law. A lot of the things about the law had to do with food, it had to do with drink, it had to do with festivals, and it had to do with observing certain days. And I'm just going to tell you that there is a trend that's happening in the faith community that disturbs me. There's a disturbing trend that's happening to me in the, um, in the faith community, and, and part of that is that churches are starting to teach that, um, that people need to go back and they need to fulfill and they need to observe all the things out of the Old Testament. And they're kind of doing it in a sly way because what they're saying is, well, you need to observe all the festivals and you need to observe. There's people, you know, that churches that are promoting that you need to build a, you know, when it's the festival of booths, you need to build a booth in your house and you need to do all this stuff. And they're not, they're not saying you need to do this just from a, um, a historical standpoint or understanding the, you know, God's character and God's nature because of those things. They're saying you need to be doing this. This is important for you spiritually and Man, it is a modern-day version of what was happening that Paul kept having to speak to every church that he wrote to in the New Testament. He, in essence, had to talk to them about people trying to follow the things out of the Old Testament because they were, they were making it Jesus plus. It was Jesus plus you had to do these other things. Jesus plus you needed to follow this festival. Jesus plus you needed to... Now look, I'm all about that I find great significance in understanding you know, a Seder meal and things like this because it shows us something about how God revealed himself and his holiness and all of these things that we see in the Old Testament. But Paul is making even very clear here. He says, look, don't let anybody judge you in regards to food or drink in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Why? Because these were only a shadow, but Jesus, the Messiah, is the substance. What Jesus did through his death and through his resurrection moved the disciples out from being under the law and being under grace. They, they no longer had the curse and the punishment of law, but there are people, both then and now, who are still trying to bring the judgment of the law down on other folks. Here's the truth, the, the, the simple note. Number one, Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. It's the fulfillment of Judaism. There's a lot of people who are confused about Judaism and Christianity because what we see in the Old Testament was Judaism. It's not the Christianity that we live in today. There are a lot of people that will make statements and they will talk about uh, you know, something out of the Old Testament and talk about Christians. And, well, those, that, that, those weren't Christians. It doesn't mean that, that they didn't have a form of a relationship with God. Don't misunderstand that. But the idea of becoming a Christian came about with Christ. Once Christ came, then you went out from being under the law and Judaism into Christianity, which is basically Christians it is, means little Christ. You couldn't be a little Christ before Christ. You, you didn't know him. They were looking forward to who the Messiah was going to be and, and in anticipation but until Christ came, there weren't people that were Christians. There's a whole other thing that we could go into about that, about how that then as they followed the law and as they uh, did sacrifices and all that, then God counted that faithfulness then as righteousness. But then we came under and we put on Jesus' righteousness. Or that we no longer had to be about the outward observances, but instead we could have a change in our hearts 
and put on Christ, wherein is the new man. Verse 17 gives us a real summary of the entire passage, and this is what it says. Verse 17 gives us a plain statement about these are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is the Messiah. Jesus is really the substance, and everything else was window dressing. I mean, when you just get down to it, he was the substance, and and everything else was window dressing. In fact, when we try to get away from Christ being the substance, Galatians 5 and 4 tells us this, says, you who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. You have fallen from grace. What he's really saying there is, is grace was what was giving you you're standing with God, and instead of accepting it, instead of receiving it, instead of living in that grace, he says, you've now stepped away from that. that. That was the high and lofty provision of God. And you've fallen from that lofty provision that God made, and you've chosen to step back into the law and say, I would rather be doing this myself. I'll be honest with you. I can work on some basic things on my vehicle, but Dennis is an expert, okay? You know, I, I, can, I can change out certain basic things, and I can read a children's book with the best of them. You know, I can sit out there with a book and be looking and do this and do that and tell you the tools not. But it'll take me five times as long to do some basic things that he just does without even thinking about it. It would be foolish of me if that man came to me and I said, hey, you know, I got a water pump that's bad on, on my truck and blah, blah, blah. And he says, hey, I'll take care of it. I'll go get the parts. I'll fix it. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to touch anything. And I said, man, that's awesome and all, but, you know, and I know I'm stressed for time and, and blah. But you know what? I think I'll just do this myself. I can't find my children's book even. But I'm just going to figure out, see if I can do this myself. How foolish would that be when someone who is an expert at doing this says, I'll take care of this. Man, that's just an earthly example. But you've got Christ who paid the price for us and provided through his grace so that we could come to Christ and then to turn around and go back and say, you know what? That's just too good to be true. And so I don't want to receive that. I'd feel a lot more comfortable if I was working for my salvation. And that's what it was. When we allow any works to become part of our process of obtaining justification, we've fallen away from the work of grace. We're abandoning the powerful work of Jesus and we're attempting to do something ourselves that honestly we are incapable of doing. We can't keep the law in perfection. We can't do those things without fail. And so choosing and desiring to do that, but... I was having a conversation with somebody, I don't even remember who it was in the last two weeks, and we were talking about the fact that it seems, I think actually it was, it was Bird and Caleb and I here on a couple Sunday nights back. We, we had a few guys here, and, and we were sitting talking about that it seems like it's too good to be true, and so we just can't quite convince ourselves that we should accept what Jesus has done. It, and, and we were discussing the fact that, can you imagine if you were a Jewish person during this time frame, when Christ comes and dies, is resurrected, and now these guys are preaching the New Testament gospel, and you've been keeping the law your whole life, you've been taught 
from the, from the moment you were born, you've been taught you have to follow these rituals. You have to do these things. You have to follow these festivals. You have to do all this stuff. You can't take but so many steps on the Sabbath day. You got all this. And suddenly a guy comes along who's from a few towns over, and he's telling everybody, and all his followers are telling everybody, he's the son of God, and he's living a perfect life, and you're going, wait a minute, everybody knows that nothing good comes out of over there. And in this guy, because remember, this is just biblical, I'm just, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of giving you my narrative of a lot of stuff we see in the Bible, people talking about him. Wait a minute, isn't he the carpenter's son? I mean, he hasn't even been to seminary. And he's out here telling everybody that, hey, he's the son of God. And, and, and somebody goes, yeah. But look, he's healed some people. There's some folks, I heard, there's like some dead people that's come back to life. There were some people that couldn't see, and he's made them where they could see. They couldn't hear, and he's made them where they couldn't hear, or where they could hear. But they're still sitting there going, yeah, but I've heard about his dad and his mom and maybe some of his, some of his siblings, and I don't know. And they said, hey, but here's the thing. You know, then they, then they killed him. Yeah, he's a criminal, right? Well, I mean, not really, but, but yeah, I mean, they killed him as one. And, but then, you know, the story, you know, is, because what I heard from my second cousin's brother's sister's aunt was that, that, that he came back to life. His body disappeared. And then he showed up to some people, and he, like, walked through walls and junk, y'all. Sorry, they were from southern Israel. <laughs> he walked through some walls, y'all. It was dope. <laughs> and so they're sitting here listening to this, and, and, and then along come his disciples who, and the apostles who were preaching this gospel, and what they say is, look, you don't have to follow the festivals. You don't have to do the sacrifices anymore, all of these things. But they'd been taught their whole lives, if you don't do these things, you're not right with God, and if you die, you spend eternity in hell. But someone is coming along saying, you no longer have to do any of that stuff. It's not even necessary. How hard would that be for people to receive that? Because look, if we're just honest about things, what your mother, your father, your grandparents taught you about anything in life, it's one of the reasons that we have so much of a struggle in our own society is because it is hard to tell someone, hey, what you've been taught, it may have an element of truth to it, but everybody's not that way. Right? Hey, everybody that's this, they're not this way. Everybody that's that, they're not this way. Everybody that goes to church, they're not this way. I've, I've heard more over the last uh, probably month about people that are turned off toward, they're not turned off toward God. They're not turned off toward Jesus. They're not necessarily even turned off toward the Bible. They're turned off because of Christians. They say, man, all I see is I see people that are hateful. I see people that can't get along because the, 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 the Hispanic community can't get along with a white community. They can't get along with a black community. And, and, and nobody wants to get along with the Oriental community. I mean, it's just, 
And that's what people see. And they said, but you guys are supposed to be the church. And you guys say you love people. But all I see is you talk like this, put jokes like this on, on Facebook and social media, do these things. That, oh, you think they're kind of, you know, well, I didn't really mean anything. Well, if you didn't really mean anything, then don't put it out there. Sometimes our, our my wife always tells me, and, and I've tried to work on it. I really have. My wife tells me, she says, sometimes your humor reveals what's in your heart. So that's what she tells me. Why are you saying amen so loud? <laughs> well, oh, you're talking about somebody else. You weren't amening toward me. Thank you. Uh, yeah, okay, all right. I, I feel you. I feel that support. Yeah, she right. But, but she'll tell me. And so I've started paying attention because sure enough, instead of just wanting to say, eh, you know, to somebody, then I kind of say something a little funny but barbed. You know, and she was like, hey, see, there's some truth. And I was like, no, no, no. I was just, you know, I was just cutting up. She's like, uh -huh. all right, whatever. <laughs> Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so a lot of times what we what we have a hard time with is is demonstrating to people what God is really wanting. And so. When you really have to invest into someone because their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents have taught them something about people, about situations, about church, about whatever it is, then it takes a great deal of patience and humility to work through because in reality what you're telling people is those folks were wrong. And that's hard. You're Jewish during this time frame, and, and, and Christ comes, and all stuff happens, and the preacher comes along and says, hey, your family that's still telling you you need to do all of this stuff, they're wrong. I mean it with love, and it, but, but, but God has sent Christ to set you free from all of that. And, and, but, but, but my mom and dad are telling me I still have to do this. My grandparents are still, and, 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 and he's part of the religious community. They're going, I understand, but, but they're wrong because of what Jesus has, has done. That's hard. That's tough. So I contemplated Jesus being the substance that mankind had been longing for. I thought about a gift. I thought about, particularly at Christmas time. How many of you actually get your presents, uh, you know, if you do Christmas stuff or whatever, you, how many of you actually get some presents under the tree like before Christmas Eve night? Okay. I don't mean like you get to open them. I mean, you actually, because some people, you could be like us some years where you are wrapping stuff Christmas Eve night. You know, right? You know, how many of you get some out there in advance? You got a couple of presents. All right, this should be everybody. All of us should at least have one or two. You know, you should get out there maybe in advance. And because I remember when I was a kid, my parents were not as big a slackers as I am about getting stuff done for Christmas, although I did a lot better last year, and I got stuff done early, okay? It surprised Michelle because usually I enjoy the hunt on Christmas Eve, you know? Because if important stuff, I already have gotten it, you know, somebody, but, but I, you know, I take the kids, and normally it's a, a short time frame because we've got stuff going on at night, and then it's just like an adventure, you know? You're going from place to place, and nobody has it, and it's great. But I decided I didn't want that stress this past year, so I did better. I actually have some Christmas presents bought already this year, because I get stuff on sale now and just hide stuff. 
if a store's closing, Merry Christmas. That's all I'm saying. You know, hide it away. Take the sale tag off. They think you pay full price. I'm not sure if that's misleading or not, but because I don't say that I paid full price. I mean, you know, just saying. But I started thinking about, and when I was a kid, you know, you'd be looking and those presents, they'd be on the tree for like two, three weeks. You know, because Thanksgiving, we were putting up a Christmas tree. You know, you just wanted to hang the tree and put all the lights up. You know, it was really cool to watch and see and all that stuff. And, but you would sit there for weeks as a kid, you're looking at those boxes. And you're trying to imagine. Because it's never like it is on TV when I see people where they like wrap a bicycle. You know, I mean, that is like, there is no secret there if you wrap the bicycle or you wrap a football. You know, at least put it in a box. Wrap the box. I mean, because it's like, I wonder what that is, right? But you're sitting there, and that's what you're thinking. You're going, hmm. You look for your name, and, and parents know to don't shake it. You can't be shaking it, because you'll be, you be over there trying to shake and all that stuff. Look, you won't listen to your mama, but you're sitting there trying to shake this thing, trying to hear what this thing is. If you pay that much attention to what your parents... Okay, all right, parents, I'd, I, I could teach you about that on a... On a time when we're talking about kids being obedient. But then again, maybe if more adults listen to their boss that way, you know, that focused, oh, I'm going to pay, I think I heard something metal in it. You're trying to figure it out. But what would happen if it came Christmas Day and, and you know, you get your present out and, and it's there and, and it's got this wrapping paper on it, it's got a bow on it and it's in a box and, man, you start, you start tearing the paper off and then you you see, and it's just somebody, they put it in a cardboard box because they wanted to, you know, hide it a little more. And, and you rip the cardboard box open, and there's something inside, and it's, it's valuable, and, and it was something you wanted. And, and you've, been, you've been, you know how kids are, because they'll be like, I've been waiting my whole life for this. And they're four. You know, I wanted this my whole life. Yes. You know, you know that's right. And so, and so they get it out. Although this actually happens a lot with toddlers, by the way. But, but they get it out, and they look at it for a little bit, and you turn your back, and somebody else is open something, and you turn around, and they're playing with a wrapping paper in a box. Right? Now, let's get down to the truth here. How foolish is that, really? Because what's the substance was what was in the box. It's not the box. It's not the wrapping paper. It's not the bow. Those things are pretty. Maybe the box is not that pretty, but, you know, they're getting imagination and all that. But the substance was what was in there. And if you just sat there and played with a box and some wrapping paper and ignored the value of what had been invested and given to you, how foolish would that be? Jesus has to be received for the immense value that he presents to us in himself. We can't be hung up about the wrapping paper in the box of the Old Testament. We can't be hung up about the things of the law and all that because that's ignoring the substance, the value of the gift that's been given to us, and it's focusing on wrapping paper and a cardboard box. Paul then moves into writing about these outward practices. Even, even outward practices that are in the form of worship. Because listen to what he said. He said, let nobody uh, disqualify you insisting on aesthetic practices and worship of angels. 
claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. Here's a reality that we have to grasp. A person can have outward change without a change of heart, but can never have a change of heart without an outward result. A person can have outward change without a change of heart, but they can never have a change of heart without an outward result. Here's what that means. There are a lot of people that start acting right on the outside. They have an outward change, but yet their heart really is not changed. It's just they realize, hey, there's a lot of, I get into a lot of trouble. I've seen people in the workplace. They'll start doing right according to the rules in the workplace, but inside they are not compliant with what's going on. There was a story about a, a little kid. He was just acting up, man. I mean, he was just acting up, acting up, acting up. And, and his mom finally told him, said, go sit in the corner until I tell you you can get up again. He went over and sat down, you know, a little, t- little chair in the corner, and he's sitting there, and, and the minute his mom walks by and says, how are you doing? How are you? Are you thinking about it? He says, well, I tell you what, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> I mean, there's an outward thing that you can be doing, but the heart is not changed. But the heart cannot be changed and not eventually result in an outward manifestation of that change that's on the inside. Put bluntly, there are a lot of people who put on a show of following Jesus, but their heart has not truly been made new. And where this normally shows up is under pressure. You know, there was that song, you know, and y'all thought that was Vanilla Ice that did that for all y'all from the 80s and all that. See, some of y'all going, yeah, I know what he's talking about. Other people are like, what? Vanilla Ice? Is that new ice cream? Or, you know, under pressure, coming down on me, coming down on you. you know. Hey, there's a, I, I, had a, um, I had a little air tank one time, you know, that you could... Uh, there's one of these little small ones that you're supposed to be able to, you could fill it up at like the service station. You know, you could pressurize it there. And you could keep it in your car so that if you ever had a, you know, a tire that was going low, then you could just kind of fill it up. You know, I don't know why we didn't just have the little pump thing plug in on a cigarette lighter, but, but it had that little tank thing. Somebody gave it to me. And I, I never had to use the thing. I'd had it. It wasn't new. Somebody had given it to me. And I think, you know, they were having a yard sale or something. They're like, here, you can have this. Until the time I tried to fill it up with air. And when it got under pressure, it revealed there was a crack in it. See, until it got under pressure, it looked good. It looked like this thing's functional. It looked like it'll do what I need it to do. It didn't appear to be in bad shape. But when pressure got applied to it, then the crack showed up. And it could not withstand the pressure. So a lot of times... People are going through the motions because maybe they've grown up around church. See, I, I, knew, I grew up in a pastor's family. I knew the right things to say, the right things to do. I knew the way to play music. I knew all this stuff. But that did not mean that my heart was right with God. I just knew the, the activities to do. I knew all the stuff. I knew the language. I knew the lingo, you know, because we talk certain ways in church. Can I get an amen? Yes, Lord. Brother. Hallelujah. I, now, not me. I mean, but we have a lingo that we tend to use in church. We even talk about it when we see somebody. Brother, have you been tarrying? People are like, what? Have you been tarrying? 
You know, we just have a lingo that we use, and, and it's not that anything's wrong with that. It's just you can be around it long enough that you learn all the right stuff. You can have an outward change without a change of heart. But if God truly changes your heart, there is no way that it does not end up showing up. Topics mentioned in this passage include aesthetic practices, this worship of angels, this claiming visions and inflated mind. But what, what really are these things? Well, something that's aesthetic, it is practicing strict self-denial as a measure of personal and especially spiritual discipline. Now, at a certain level, we'll say, wait a minute, then what's wrong with self-denial? Because doesn't the Bible say that if you want to be his disciple, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him? Yeah. Yes, it absolutely does. But using that to be your measure of your personal spiritual existence. Oh, look, see, I deny myself all these things, so I'm a better Christian than someone else is. Not, hey, I'm listening to God, and as He speaks to me in my life about something that may not, I think this is the, the biggest sign of maturity, is when God speaks to you in your particular life about something that is not inherently sinful, but yet it's not good for you. You don't do well with it. You can't handle it at, at your certain point in time or, or with your certain level of maturity spiritually. And so you are willing to lay that aside because although it is not inherently sinful, your use of it becomes sinful. When we can hear God in those things and we can walk away from that stuff, that's the right way of self-denial. But just to say, oh, I don't do this and I don't do that. I always heard my dad tell a story about that there was a lady that he heard in a church and um, she was always talking about how, you know, but she just loved God and how godly she wanted to be and all that stuff. And he said, they went over to her house and, and she had uh, some, offered some lemonade. And so um, they, they, you know, sure. You know, so they take, and my dad you know, takes a drink, and he's like, oh, man, this stuff was like straight lemon. I mean, it was like, Ew. I mean, you got the, the, the bitter face, you know, that went on. And he's like, what on earth? And she was like, well, I just don't put sugar in my lemonade because the Bible says we're supposed to be a peculiar people. So I don't put sugar in my lemonade. My dad was like, I'll just take water. <laughs> Look, man, these people, they, they do weird stuff. Trying to go, oh, look at what I'm doing. Look at how I'm denying something from myself in order to, to show that I'm spiritual. Paul said you need to be wary of people like that. Don't let folks like that try to disqualify you and tell you you're not a follower of Christ. You're not his disciple because that you don't do all of these things of just denying everything. Now, let's take that in, in the, the, the real context. There are various religious orders that claim the necessity of denying certain outward things, including even speech, relationships, you know, nicer things, you know, all kind of stuff that they'll not picking on not picking on monks and convents and things like that. But the reality is is what the concept that's being promoted is, well, you need to forsake all of these things. You need to not you need to not have a relationship with anybody. You need to they, they take a vow of silence. There's a lot of people, they deny this stuff and say, oh, this is what we need to do, and it, and it helps us to grow closer to God. And, and look, if you got something you need to personally deny in order to get closer to God, do it. 
It just doesn't need to become that you look at everybody else and say, now you need to do it too. Because if you don't do it, you're not as good a Christian as I am. That's just not godly. It's not, it's not in line with God's Word. And some of those in that, those religious orders, they particularly zone in on angels. But here's a reality. Focusing heavily on angels essentially leads to idol worship. There's people, they're praying to angels. They're praying to, to, to saints. They're praying to all these other things. And look, I appreciate that there are folks in, in heaven that have passed on before us that, that, you know, the Bible talks about we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and so therefore let us run the race with patience that's laid out for us, all that stuff. But look, I'm going to pray to the one mediator, to the one that's there to, to intercede on my behalf, and that's Jesus Christ. Look, I, it's great if he's got angels and warring angels that watch out for us and all those things. And man, I appreciate that. There's spiritual warfare that's going on between demonic spirits and angelic spirits. But yet there is one who is the conqueror. There is one who is victorious. There is one who is the king, and his name is Jesus. Now, if he wants to send somebody to look out for me, and he wants to send an angelic being, but I'm not going to worship that angelic being. I'm going to worship the source. Then we have those that have developed this visionary realm. It's not my term. I'm just using what Paul uses here. They claim access to a visionary realm. Now, when people claim this stuff, here's what they typically refer back to. They'll refer back to Acts chapter 2, verse 17. This is what they'll say. Oh, but Acts 2 says, and it'll be in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Absolutely. The Bible says that. Acts chapter 2 is why we just read it. But the concept that he's talking about here in Colossians is that people will get this personal visionary realm where they feel that they can go and they can delve into spiritual mysteries. And I'm going to tell you that this general idea has become more and more prevalent in certain church settings. Now there are churches, and it even happens around here, they host schools. Schools of how to operate in the visionary. I've told people for years, I said, look, I'm going to tell you number one thing that I believe is if God wants to do something in you, you haven't got to go somewhere for somebody to teach you how to allow God to do something in you. You just hear what I'm saying? I mean, you don't need to go somewhere and, oh, here's the five steps. Man, if God wants to do something in your life, then just be submissive and allow God to work in your life. And I promise, he's a far better teacher than what anybody else is. It's going to try to give you the five-step plan for you need to just say whatever comes to mind. You need to do this. You need to do that. They're going to teach you how to interpret your dream. I'm not a guy. Hey, I, we, I see that there's people in, in the Bible that interpret dreams. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm telling them, they want, they want you. That's right. They, you, can, you can pay this much, pay $39.95 to come over here for our school of the prophetic. I'm sorry, but I got a different term for it. You can go to their school of the pathetic. But you're going to come over here for this, and, and then we're going to teach you how to interpret your How am I going to teach you to interpret what God alone knows that he gives or decides what, it, what it's supposed to mean? But I'm going to teach you how to, man, come on. If I can control God to that extent, he's not God. Don't get me excited this morning. Paul describes people that are in this mindset with three 
powerful descriptors in this passage. Here's what he says. He says they are inflated without cause. They have an unspiritual mind and they've lost contact with the head, which is Jesus. Inflated without cause is pretty self-explanatory, but, but hey, let's talk about it anyway. The underlying reason that people are inflated without cause is due to the fact that what they believe is powerful and personal growth and maturity is actually false. And therefore, it's no actual cause to be prideful. That's why they're inflated without cause. And the cause of that wrong belief is there's an irony to this. The reason that people have this wrong belief is because they believe they are super spiritual when Paul said their minds are unspiritual. It it always, and and you guys that have been here for most of this two years, some of you, you've heard me say to people that come and and they'll say, oh, I'm a prophet. And I go, you know, the amazing thing is, is that ain't nobody got to tell me, you know, oh, I'm a prophet. Well, if you're telling me that, you kind of make me nervous to begin with. You know, God just speaks to me in the prophetic. Look, I'd just rather that you just, if God really tells you something, and and I'd just rather you share it with me and then me go, man. Now, there's no way they could have known that right there. But when you got to come up and tell me, I mean, that's kind of like somebody wanting to come up and tell you, hey, man, I'm the best looking guy you've ever seen in your life. I'm going, well, I don't don't think so. If you got to tell somebody, any, all right, anyway. But the, the problem is, is they believe themselves to be super spiritual, and so people want to tell that. And that's what they advertise, and that's what, that's what they try to promote is they try to get people to come to them because they're going, look how spiritual I am. Look what God does through me. The irony to me is that people that I see in God's Word, and even people that I have been around in my lifetime that God just used in a mighty way, they were some of the most humble people. And they didn't want to talk about it, and they didn't want anybody... Man, there was people that, buddy, when they went to praying about your situation, it was, I've always heard, it was like, if, if they started praying about it, it was like God moved. Now, I understand, but there's people that, man, they, they live a close prayer life with God. But they, they keep things out of their life that would be an obstacle for their prayers. They, they don't, but they, they keep their lives pure. They keep themselves. And so, man, when they pray, they pray with sincerity. They pray God's word. They, but some of those folks, they didn't want people talking about that. I, I, I've just not seen people that, that truly God used powerfully in prayer or in evangelism or different things that they just wanted to promote themselves. People that viewed themselves as being super spiritual, Paul said here, he said, look, they're inflated without cause because they have an unspiritual mind. But he ends his description of them with this final one which addresses both. Both of these conditions, being self-inflated and being unspiritual, are caused by one simple thing. You've lost contact with the head, which is Jesus. Let's take this backwards for a moment. Once you lose contact with Jesus, then you start to have an unspiritual mind. When you get disconnected from the source, from the head, from from the thoughts, from where everything is supposed to originate, then what happens is, is you start to believe things that are not spiritual, but yet you believe they're super spiritual. 
And so when you start believing things that are, that are out of alignment with Christ, then what happens is you start to get inflated with that cause because you start thinking it's about you. You start thinking it's all about what God's doing. Look what God is doing in me and through me. It's no longer you pointing it back toward God. Why? Because you're disconnected from the head. You're not wanting to point back to the head anymore. You're wanting to go, oh, look at me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. How many situations in churches alone have happened because somebody lost touch with Jesus? Usually, usually while they're believing that it's themselves who are the most in touch with Jesus and somebody else is out of touch with Jesus. And then start believing unspiritual things got puffed up and determined within themselves that the pastors are wrong, the staff's wrong, fellow believers are wrong. They're the only ones that are right. I mean, let's just be honest. How many times does that happen? And it happens in reverse. It happens with, it happens with staff. It happens with pastors. They determine they're the only ones that are right. Everybody in the whole church just stinking it up spiritually. So once we get disconnected from the head, this stuff starts to happen. And it creates these divisions, and we start, the Bible tells us, says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. And it's not too long until we end, our, end up finding ourselves back in a works-based religion. And here's another reality. A works-based religion fails to hold on to Jesus as the head. Why? Because it elevates. Instead of saying that Jesus is the one as the head who drives everything else, it says, oh, my own personal works and what I'm doing, that's what actually is accomplishing things. And sadly, that belief is just a perversion of God's truth because salvation is not a result of works, but rather works are a result of salvation. Get that again. Salvation is not a result of works, but works are a result of salvation. Because people go to the other extreme too, and they go, oh, works has nothing to do with Christianity. When you're just as off base as the person who says that, that works is what you need to do to get saved. Because there is no way that you can, back to that, you can have an outward change and not have a change of heart, but you cannot have a change of heart and it not result in an outward change. If God changes who you are inside and, and you surrender your life and you, you recognize you have a broken heart and a contrite spirit about the sin in your life and you recognize what God has done and it's His kindness that leads you to repentance and you come to Him, then your heart has now made a turn. And then He takes and removes the heart of stone anyway and gives you this heart of flesh and now you have a desire to pursue after Him because you are changed. You are a new creation in Christ. So you don't look and go, well, I need to do this in order to get saved. But you do recognize that because he has saved me, I want to serve him. I want to follow him. I, want to, I, want to, I do want to deny myself and take up my cross and follow him because I want to be his disciple. We have, we have so perverted the, the, the idea of being a disciple. Josh and I were talking about this. I've been, I've been reading this book, and I went to the bookstore to get uh, several of them for some of our, our leadership, and, uh, and they were out, so I had to order them. But I've been reading a book talking about some of this, and, and it's just challenging me about we have turned to, you know, being a disciple into a two-step process, and it's not what we see in God's Word. We've turned it into saying, well, we need to get you converted, 
And so we change your destination. And then now, step two, we need to teach you that Jesus wants to be more than just your Savior. He wants to be your Lord as well. That's not the biblical premise. The biblical premise is when you accept Christ, you accept Him as Lord and Savior. That a disciple is one who doesn't just want to get saved, but who wants to follow then. That's the response that you're making. But we've taught people, you can be a disciple, but not really be following after Christ. And that's just not biblical. He changed who you are. And so, yes, it will take a process of maturation for you to mature along the way and change. And over time, He begins to work things out of you and, and smooth off the rough, ed rough edges. But we are not then just going, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I don't want to follow Him. I don't care about going to church. I don't care about gathering together with His people. I don't care about any of that stuff. Man, I just I got saved. I prayed a prayer. I don't have to go to hell. I'm good. It's not the way it works. Only the head, Jesus, nourishes, holds together, and grows the body. But we're going to pause here. Um, we're going to pause this week at this point. Don't anybody get all excited because they're going, oh, my word, is he wrapping up? This is unbelievable. <laughs> if you do, I'll add, I'll add 10 minutes on for every... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're going to pause here because I want to... I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want you to think about some things. Next week we're going to get verses 20 through 23 because there's some, there's some real depth in those as well. Here's a question I want to ask you. Are you focused on Jesus as the substance of your faith? Now, here's a, here's a thing about closed-end questions. You know, closed-end questions are yes-no type things. So we, are you focused on Jesus' substance of your faith? What did everybody in the room most likely say within themselves? They said, yes. But what if I turned around and did this to you? I'll give you an example. I posted about this on Facebook probably um, about three weeks ago. I was standing out on our yard at our plant, and we'd sold some stuff and uh, some lumber, and I had a guy uh, coming to pick it up. He was taking it to Michigan. We're standing out there talking, and because um, I'd had to have him wait because he showed up earlier than what he was supposed to, and I said, hey, I'm sorry, you weren't supposed to be here till this time. I understand you're caught in the middle, but it's going to be a little bit because I'm in the middle of doing schedules, and, and so uh, then I'll come, I'll come out. So while my guy was, one of my guys was loading his truck, I was just standing there talking to him. I try to keep him calm, you know. don't need anything happening on the yard because drivers sometimes get a little excited. And uh, particularly if they have to wait. And so I'm standing there talking to the guy, and, and it, was, uh, it was the same day that they were starting to work on or supposed to come and start painting the building. And I made some comment about uh, the weather, and I said, oh, you know, I think it's going to storm up a little. Had a building going to get painted. And, um, I don't try to force faith stuff while I'm you know, at work because I'm, that's not what I'm paid to be there to do. All right? Understand that. That's all right. The best witness you can have is do what you're paid to do. Because if you're going to be a bad employee, you cannot be a good witness for Christ. Can I get an amen? If you're a bad employee, you're not setting the example and then turn around and going to tell people about how Jesus wants to change your life. Because people are going, yeah, Jesus needs to change your life. Need to make you show up to work on time. Need to make you quit taking breaks when it's not break time. Need to make you quit taking home office supply. Anyway, all right, just moving on. But 
So I'm, I'm standing out there talking to the guy, and I said, uh, I said, yeah, I'm talking about the weather, and I said, right, man, I'm excited about this because I hope that, um, that they're going to be able to get over. i got a building being painted. And he said, oh, what kind of building? He's a young guy. And I said, uh, I, you know, I, guess, you know, I guess it's a commercial building. And he says, what kind of commercial building? I said, okay, flat out, it's a church. And he says, oh, you a rev? And I said, yeah, I guess you could say that. I said, I don't introduce. Well, you didn't say anything. I said, I don't go around introducing myself. Hey, I'm a pastor. You know, I said, I, it's just, that's part of who I am. It's part of what I do. But I, I don't go introducing myself to people. Oh, I'm the pastor. And, uh. And so we got to talking about the community. We got to talking about Aniston. And he said, well, I grew up in Montevallo. And he said, now I live in, in uh, Elkhart, Indiana. And I said, oh, you know, we lived in Fort Wayne for four years. And we're talking about that. And how'd you get up there and all this? And, and so he's asking me about church. And I said, well, I said, you know, there's a lot of churches that have gone out of Aniston. And the ones that, that aren't, honestly, it's because they got such big properties. And they can't, they can't go. They got big buildings and all this stuff. And I said, but, I said, there's such a disconnect. And I said, once you cross... Once you cross Quintard, and definitely once you cross Noble Street. I said, people on one side of Noble Street don't want to do anything with people on the other side of Noble Street. I said, and sadly, even churches don't. And I said, we were out in the community, and I said, we were knocking on doors before we had Stevenson come. And I said, we had people ask us when we were going down Wilmer, had people when we say, hey, we're on 15th Street, and they say, which side of Quintard? I said, well, we're on this side. Really? Yes. On purpose. And I said, you know, there's a lot of people. I said, I always heard this saying that you're either part of the problem, you're part of the solution. And I said, we just want to be a part of helping to fix Aniston. And here's why I'm saying you better be prepared. Because he looked at me and he said, so what would you do to fix it if you could? I said, hey, let me tell you about some of the things we talk about. There's a lot of people that talk about and say yes to things. and Oh, yeah, Jesus is, you know, I'm focused on him as a substance of my faith. Okay. All right. So if that's the case, then is that being lived out through faithful obedience to what Jesus commanded? And how would you describe to me in your life how that you are focused on Jesus being a substance of your faith? It's easy to say, yeah, oh yeah, I'm focused on Jesus. So how's that playing out in your life? What's that look like? What are you, what can you look at and say, hey, here's how I'm focused on him. Here's how, and, and now we're not talking about just checking off. Well, because, you know, I, I, I read my words some, and, and I pray some, and see, now you're back to that works-based thing. You just, you're, you're entirely focused. Oh, I checked the list, I checked the list, I checked the list. No, how's that really being lived out in your life? Where is Where's that faithful obedience that Jesus commanded? What do your finances look like? Are you being faithfully obedient to God? I'm not talking about giving to the church. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't, don't. I'm talking about you personally, your finances. What are you doing? What are you doing in being faithfully obedient to God? What about your marriage? How are you being faithfully obedient to God in your marriage? You honoring one another? 
you know, we, we, we all stood, most of us, you know, you, I say all, we, most of us stood in, you know, in, in, in front of a church somewhere and you, you went through some, some vows and you talked about things, you know, that you'll honor them and you'll love them and, you know, all that stuff. And how's that looking in your marriage? What's it look like? You say you focused on Jesus being the substance of your faith. Does your marriage reflect that? Are you serving one another? Are you loving one another? Are you praying for each other? Are you, are you just a jerk? Right? With a show at church and other places, but, but you, you fuss and you fight and you yell at each other. and you, Just, what about your job? Went through some interviews here recently and, and had... Uh, you know, you hear the question, so what if we talk to people that work around, what, how would they describe you? What would they say about you? See, we know what we, what we think about ourselves, but what would other people around us say? Because so, if you're, I really truly believe that if you're faithfully being obedient to Christ in your everyday life, if he is the substance of your faith, people are going to say certain things about you. That doesn't mean people are going to like you because they may be convicted by your life. They may be convicted by your... But they, they won't have to talk about that you're an arrogant jerk and you're, and you're overbearing. I said, man, I don't always agree with that guy, but you know, he's respectful. I know that he cares about me and cares about my family. Pick any area of, of your life. Are you holding on to Christ? Or is it possible that you've become distracted by the things around? You're losing contact with the head. Maybe you start to believe things that are out of character for you. It leads to pride, self-exaltation in areas of your life. And here's the reality. When we see ourselves acting in ways that are not consistent with Jesus, then we know that we've stopped being his disciple in that area, and we're blazing our own trail. But, but are you then being faithfully obedient to what Jesus commanded, in touch with the head, being nourished and held together by him, being grown by God. That's what I want you to think about this week. Let's pray.